So welcome to the first episode of the Clag Bag. My name is Woo! <laughs> My name is JP, and I'm here with your co-hosts for today, which, uh, which is uh, Nud and Sky. Hey, hello, or Ed, or Ed. Yeah, so but, I'm we, Ed. but we call him Nud <laughs> and Scotty, but hello. we call him Scotty. Mm. Um, so the idea of the clag bag is uh, Nud and I used to run uh, write a website that Scotty contributed to, what, about 10 years ago now, something yeah. like that, uh, which was reviews of all our favourite bad movies. Um, and uh, we were thinking, uh, you know, a few months ago that there really aren't enough uh, movie podcasts out there, <laughs> yeah. So maybe it was time to bring the clag bag back. The concept is a little bit like uh, Room One Hundred and One. We've each picked a different movie that we're going to champion as a bad movie that deserves to be placed forever in the clag bag and forgotten about. <coughs> um, so we don't just talk about movies from like the, the last few years, um, overblown, underwritten blockbusters. We've decided to identify kind of three eras of Clag. Yeah. So we're kind of talking about about different movies from different periods. So the three Clag eras are kind of um, pre nineteen eighties. So um, kind of seventies Grindhouse and fifties Creature Features, uh, that kind of thing. And Nud has picked a title from that era. What have you got for us, Nud? So the first title is going to be Horror Express. Which was from 1972. 1972, the year I was born. And, um, and then, so the second era of Clag uh, is kind of the, the 80s, the birth of um, uh, VHS, the birth of home entertainment, and the birth of DTV movies. So, um, Scotty, you've picked a film from this era. What have you got for us, Scotty? I've got Lucio Fulci's The House by the Cemetery, which was 1981. 1981, so right from the start of that era. And then uh, the modern era, or the kind of post-Matrix era of Clag, <laughs> as Nud calls it, is kind of kind of late 90s and 2000s and, and forwards. And I've picked a film from that era, and, uh, and I've picked from right at the start of the era, from the year 2000, uh, Courtney Solomon's epic Dungeons & Dragons. We have a winner. Well, maybe not. So we're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> or maybe we do. So uh, we're each gonna make our case. Uh, so we've watched all of those movies, but but the, the whoever's picked it is gonna champion their case for putting this film in the clag bag. Can I just interject a little bit? Of course, mate. I think because this is our first episode, we probably need to explain what the hell a clag bag actually is. Because <laughs> we're talking about it like, well, yeah, clag bag. Yeah, no, uh, has a point. Um, to clarify, uh, clag bag is basically a bag of clag. It's a bag we, of clag. Yes. We, yeah. but, but I would, again, the word clag is not common parlance for a lot of people <laughs> for a bad film. So can we just, I want to encapsulate what this means to us. Well, you, um, I guess they are, so these are bad films. Um, but but um, are they films that you love to hate or are they films that you just hate? These, these can be films that are enjoyable, but terrible. So there's the stuff you love to hate, but if there's enough stuff in it to, to love, it saves it from the clag bag. But if it's a film that you hate to hate, or love to hate, or just hate, then it, then it really just, then it deserves to live in the clag bag. And, and every time we get together and do one of these, maybe once a month, uh, we, will, we will build up, we will fill the bag. 
Yeah. Um, so, uh, so this was kind of born out of our love of watching those bad films, and I guess also out of our love of Mystery Science Theatre Three Thousand, uh, mm. the the Comedy Central show, uh, where where a guy and two robots would riff on bad films. So we used to do our own version of that. So, um, so here we go, the first episode of the Clag Bag, and I think we're gonna do these in chronological order. So, Nud, tell us about Horror Express. Right. So. Um, Christopher Lee, he's somewhere, and then he decides to dig up an old man. <laughs> well, I'm saying old man, I mean a half man, half ape thing, right? And they whack it on a train. But, <laughs> but before I get on the train, as you do, before you get on a train, um, there's a bit where um, Rasputin seems to turn up on the train platform, and he says, It's the devil, I tell you! This thing in the box is the devil! And, um,. And he tries to draw a cross on it with chalk, and that doesn't work. So apparently, that proves it's the devil. Um, I, I, I should I should point out at the moment that that actual that that, that sound bite you heard there was actually Nud's impression, <laughs> and not a clip from the film. But yeah. It could easily have been. But then he so anyway, long story short, they get onto the, they get onto the train. Christopher Lee's like, leave the box alone, right? Seriously, don't do not touch this box. Keep out. Yeah, every person who works on the train just seems to want to get into the box. I love the way as well. Peter Cushing gives the guy like a dime or something to drill a hole in yeah. the box and tell him what is in the box. So then, so then um, it turns out that this this um, frozen uh, missing link kind of caveman thing actually has a demon in it. And it passes that. It it gets out of the box. Is it a demon or an alien? Well, well, that, you tell me. Let's argue about that later. <laughs> and there's a rampage ensues. <laughs> okay, and everyone starts panicking, and it then turns out that halfway through the film, the caveman thing gets killed, and it passes itself from one person to another until um, until they sort it all out by crashing the train. But that's just, that's the very trimmed down synopsis of what this film, what the film happens in the film, um, yeah. But it's like it kicks off and it, it first of all we we start at the train station, and the first where it started going a bit claggy for me and a bit over the top. It was it's you, I mean this film is very old. First of all, hey, hey, it's the same age as me, dude. <laughs> 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 but then again so's uh, House by Cemetery but that, I consider that an old film yeah okay. and um, but I know it's set it's a period film really because it's set in like 1900 or something like that isn't it so yes. it's, it's it's set in 1900 but even even given that you can tell how old the the, uh, the culture English culture because they're in the train station and Christopher Lee's getting a bit pissed off because the train conductor <laughs> will really? not give him will a not ticket. give him a ticket. What? So uh, he starts saying, "Well, I'm English. Give me a ticket because I'm English." And it's like, <laughs> and he sweeps the, all his the, papers yeah, off the that's, table, that's doesn't he? He goes, "Ah, my he's, ticket!" He's very, very, very um, put out by Peter Cushing's attempt to bribe a ticket out of the guy, but has no problem with the threat of implied violence by swiping the stuff yeah, off the, the desk. One thing, like one of the first things as well, in terms of casting. Was the the the, um, the station conductor? Was he su- were they was he supposed to be Chinese or did they just uh, in a very slightly racist way? I don't like, think ask someone that just I don't know. Wasn't the thief guy Chinese the as well? The thief was Chinese, so maybe that they, they started uh, so in they, China. They, they did start in China. They did start no, in China, so yeah. so maybe yeah. that's the reason. Maybe it's <laughs> not yeah. a racist. No, 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 no. What I mean is the guy, the guy. China. I know it's set in China, but the, 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 the station owner or, or whatever is who is arguing with Christopher Lee yeah. doesn't actually look Chinese, but he's talking with a slightly Chinese accent. 
And it, so I don't know if it's the just, implied mm-hmm. racism of casting a non-Chinese guy yeah. Yeah. and making him talk in a Chinese accent. <laughs> yeah. That sounds very probable to me that yeah. that's what they did. Christopher Lee's got the box on the with the fossil man in it. The, I love the, the way they still refer to him as a fossil yeah. when he's walking around. Yeah. When he's walking around like a zombie and killing people, they still yeah. call him the fossil. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I'm not a. Yeah, I'm not well, a paleontologist, but fossils yeah. don't do that, do they? No. It's been a while since I've been to the Natural History Museum, but I don't remember any of the skeletons doing that. No. <laughs> There's one bit in the, um, probably about a third of the way into the film, someone says, what is a fossil? And Christopher Lee just summarises it by saying, <laughs> it's a stone. It's, it's, a, it's a stone. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's kind of frozen flesh and a lot of hair. From what yeah. I think a, lot, a lot of hair. This thing is very hairy. Um, so the, the fossil boy is in the box on the platform and whilst Christopher Lee's having a, a, this fight in the um, station house or whatever. And, and then uh, um, a, a Chinese, Chinese thief, thief runs up to the box and has, wants, for some reason, to have a peek inside. Or steal it, or steal oh. something that's what, the in box, it. The whole box? Well, he's, 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 maybe he's, um, he's an optimistic <coughs> chance in his arm. He doesn't know what He goes for there. the biggest box it, on the platform. It could be Christopher Lee's dirty underwear. He's got no clue. <laughs> I don't know um, and he looks into the box, his eyes turn white, and he dies. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, what's going on? Already there's mystery. Already. I'm, yeah. what, what is in the box? Well, we know it. What's in the box, actually? It's like a fossilised well, we, thing. We've told it five times. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. a fossil. <laughs> um, An alien fossil. And so there's a, then the mad monk turns up and he says, it's the devil, I tell you. It's the devil. And then everyone's like, oh, shut up. Uh, so even then, a, even then, people dismissed instantly. People's superstition with God. It's yes. a record that he plays a few times in yeah. the course of the movie, though, isn't it? That, that it's the devil. It, I would say that's a good sixty percent of his dialogue. Is it's the, him it's claiming the it's yeah. evil? But he's but he's got, like you said, he's got a good um, good method of, of proving what he's saying. Because oh yeah, he's got chalk gets a piece of chalk out, shows it to everyone, draws. He says something about. Um, where God is, there'll always be the cross. And, and he, he draws, draws a cross, cross on, on the floor, floor. Where God is on the platform floor. Yeah. And then he says something along the lines of, where there's evil, there's no place for the cross. So, so he tries to draw a cross on the box, but he does try to draw it on some cloth. And I don't yeah. know how well chalk goes onto cloth. I don't know, but could he, like, he could have been holding it yeah. a bit, or using the blunt <laughs> end. Yeah. And everyone looks to Christopher Lee when the, when the cross doesn't work on the box and says, how do you explain that? It goes... Well, it's a conjurer. He's a, it's a part of the trick. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's conclusive proof. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, if I was on a platform, I'd be probably siding with Christopher Lee. Like, yeah, I would have. Yeah. It's yeah. basically bollocks. <laughs> it's basically what they say. Um, and then they all bundled on the train. Good times. Yeah. The, uh, and, and the only reason they don't trample the thief's body is because the army guys move, move him out of the way. Move him away. Yeah. They weren't, they move weren't him aside. even going to bother moving him to get onto the train. They were going to walk over. I do him. like, there is a, there is a definitely a moment of, of my one's bigger than your one <laughs> where Peter Cushing is, is in the baggage compartment and he's just sorting out all his boxes and paying off the guard and saying, <laughs> my boxes look great. And then Christopher Lee bundles <laughs> in with his massive box, which is far bigger than Peter Cushing's box is. Boxes. Huge. Oh, yeah. There's that and the there's sort of a moment where you check out my box, ass. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I have a rather imposing package. <laughs> and they get so they... Yeah, and then... It, I don't know why everyone is, just needs to know what is in... 
Christopher Lee's box. There's, there's, there's 50 boxes on this train, <laughs> this but they all want to get into Christopher Lee's box. What, what, what caught me was this train is actually pretty opulent. It's a pretty well appointed yeah, it's train. It's a great train. And everyone wants to be in the baggage car. <laughs> yeah. no, nobody wants to be anywhere but in the baggage You've got car. got chandeliers from the ceiling and yeah. all this silk everywhere, and everyone just wants Fine to stand China. in the baggage got, car. Yeah the, yeah, the train is full of the rich and famous uh, and aristocrats. Count, counts and countesses. Yeah. Yeah. Count, the Count and the Countess have their own like tra- um, car professors but they engineers. seem to want to spend all their time in the dingy package um, package <laughs> car package well. one. <laughs> yeah it's like I understand what it just everyone seems so oddly fascinated with this box I guess it could be you could justify it by saying well someone died because they got near the box I want to know why they died so mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is go near the box where someone died that makes sense <laughs> and then what happens so the more people um, die the train trundles along well Peter Cushing what, what, who, so what is his character? He's a... He's a, um, he's a, a doctor. Bacteriologist no, or something? No, he's a meteorologist. He's a meteorologist. Who are you looking at now? Peter, Peter Cushing. Cushing. What's Pete, his job? Peter Cushing is a science type guy. Yeah, he's a scientist. Is that what your notes say, Scott? Yeah, he's a science he's, type he's guy. basically yeah. a science Scott, he wrote type pages guy. of notes for this and all he's got yeah. on there is science type guy. I don't think it's ever actually made clear and I really was watching. Well, he plays a character <laughs> called Dr. Wells. And by the way, just for a note, Christopher Lee plays Professor Sir Sir Alexander Sexton. I'm not a monster, I'm British. (laughs) (laughs) Monsters, we're British, you know. (laughs) And um, so Peter Cushing pays one of the orderlies on the train. He like I'll I'll give you this nickel. Yeah, I'll give you a penny to to drill a hole in the box and find out what's in it. So he goes in there, he looks into the box, and then he dies as well by the same way, which is like there's a bit of weird feedback on the mic, and then his eyes turn white, and yeah. blood comes out of every orifice. So pattern's developing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, so then obviously, we then find out we've also got another guy, he's uh, Inspector Mirov, who's... Um, it's a good Russian name, Mirov. Teddy Savalas would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some time later. <laughs> he then starts throwing his weight around. I mean, he did turn up on the on the train platform, I think, and he was also throwing questions around. Yeah. He's like the Russian Morse. He is, except he's not. He's as in his own uh, words, he's uh, not educated like Morse. No. So he's like, I'm not an educated. I'm a police I'm a man. Policeman. I'm not an educated man. I don't understand your science fiddle faddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, jibber jabber. <laughs> and uh, so. He then starts saying, right, well, I want to know what's in the box as well. He now. does want to know. He is. He, a to be, fair, here. to be fair to him, but he has a professional Reason. need to know, yeah. I think, more than the passengers. Mm. Yeah, and there's, and there's been, there's been the deaths, does. possibly murders, mm. and he wants to get to the bottom of it. I think that's yeah. fair play, fair, really. Yeah, no, fair, fair play to him. But, but then you, you get the reverse then, because Christopher Lee is so adamant you're not allowed to look in the box. Why? If it's a fossil, if he at this point thinks it is just a stone, as he puts it, why is he then not even letting a policeman well, just uh, open the box? Look, you'll see it's a stone. This conversation's over. And you can then go into find out what really why this guy died, rather than getting on my tits, basically. <laughs> but it, but to be fair, it doesn't look like a stone, does it? It looks like a zombie. Yeah. Right. Sure. So that's bound to create questions. So um, this stone. I would certainly, if I were even even the even the poorest educated. Russian yes. policemen, I think, would draw um, a connective thread between the mm. mysterious deaths and the crate with the zombie in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never seen a furry stone either. Yeah, uh, that, that, <laughs> so, probably, yeah. that would probably pique my curiosity. 
But then um, I, I, this is where I kind of my continuity of the film go, goes a bit wonky. Is this the bit where they actually do open the box and turns out they find the orderly in it, which means the zombie's gone? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, you're, believe, you're the yeah. notes guy. But I think that's this, what happens. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, yeah. he's already on the loose. But it, really but clever. That, well, because the, the, the baggage guy uh, say opens the crate and yeah. So but doesn't Christopher Lee pull a gun on him at one point in that bit? Um, or they actually get ready to shoot him, or they. Instead of putting a gun at Christopher Lee, one well, of the guys with a gun sat, holds the gun at him, no, like the, the butt of the gun in his face. That's right. The the, the inspector threatens um, Saxton with violence if he doesn't open the crate, but he throws the key out of the window. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> says, I'm so adamant you yeah. you so, are not allowed to look in this box yeah. with a stone in it. I don't want you looking at my stones. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so they um, open it with an axe. But the thing yeah. gets loose, doesn't it? It's well, so the thing is already loose. Right, yeah. right. So this is where there's a bit of dialogue, which for me was hilarious. Oh my God, it's the baggage man. What was in there? I told you, a fossil, part ape, part man. It lived two million years ago. Are you telling me that an ape that lived two million years ago got out of that crate, killed the baggage man, and put him in there? Then locked everything up neat and tidy and got away. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Lock him up. We'll search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. So Peter Cushing like, goes, are you telling me that he not only killed the guy and had the, the, the wherewithal to be able to put the dead guy in the box and no one yeah. would find him, and then lock it, know how to yeah. lock it all back up, yeah. cover it all back up and re-chain it all back together... And the, the thing is, and just rewind a few steps here, the thing's alive and is killing. Yeah. And everyone goes, yeah. yeah. As, as opposed to, for example, one of the many people wanting yeah. to know what was in the box has mm. killed the, the baggage handler yeah. and, and stolen, stolen what was yeah. in the box. Um, and this really stood out for me. I mean, this is, I think this is like a, a, just a good example of, um, I mean, the, overall, I mean, I don't think I've picked really a, an, awfully, an awfully claggy film, but... This is a good example of claggy dialogue. So this is, a, this is I think, a pretty standard uh, horror trope, though, isn't it? That um, in order to move the plot along, characters make extraordinary leaps of anti-logic. Deductive logic, yeah. Yeah, and that, that kind of Occam's Razor thing. It's, great al- it's almost the opposite of Occam's Razor, isn't it? Where you just go, the most unlikely thing must be the thing that no, happens. Well, not only it. the most unlikely thing, the exact thing that has actually happened... And it, it is actually yeah, it's, happened. Yeah. Yeah. it's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so it which makes me think exactly pushing in on this. Pick the exact thing that happens to be the thing that happened, and it's the most unlikely thing. An amazing example of that in Health by the Cemetery later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think it's a horror trope, and I'm kind of I'm quite accepting of it to be honest. Because what I wouldn't want to see necessarily is another half an hour of searching people's bags looking for the zombie eight fossil clues. When when we could just move to the zombie eight fossils alive and it's on the loose, let's hunt it down. I mean, that's a lot more fun. So this, I think, this part of the film where they've revealed that uh, well, they've all they're all on board the oh, all on board the idea. That um, <laughs> that um, there's a, a zombie frozen boy running around killing people, um, and this sort of takes us into the second act. And even though I only watched this film like two days ago, this is where the film. I, this I, I don't know what it is. There's certain films where what happens in the film just instantly falls out of my head as soon as I think. <laughs> um, and um, some people die. It's all very dark. And then what happens is. Um, they kill um, the, the detective guy, Detective Inspector Mirov, shoots and kills the ape boy. You know, 
and I kind of like that because that was a good twist that, yeah. that happened fairly early on. This is where my job, their job is done. Yeah, it's a good twist, by the way, if you haven't seen the trailer, which yeah. then obviously, <laughs> yeah. which obviously then reveals to you that what the fossil has an alien intelligence mm. in ah. it that is then jumping. So, so um, the the caveman thing dies probably what the forty five minute mark maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it transfers its. Self, energy, spirit. The alien... We've, we've missed the best bit. Go on, go on. The best bit, which is when the, the autopsy scene on the baggage handler. Oh, yeah! When they remove the oh, baggage it's... handler's head and do the science bit. Oh, with, yeah. With his totally with the, smooth, smooth that, brain. With his smooth brain. His smooth and that's brain. how they managed to work out that the thing is... Is, is absorbing is a, is people's, absorbing people's memories. Memories, memories. Through the eyes. Through the that eyes. was the first clue, as Christopher Lee <laughs> yeah. points out. <laughs> yeah. That the eyes yeah. went white. That was the giveaway. Basically, yeah. He, he sees a boiled fish. Oh, yeah. And that somehow gives him the uh, the wherewithal to, to, to put... The, I don't know how that's he connects... A, White eyes on the corpse, so boiled fish's eyes. Actually, no, but that when he saw that saw the fish, and he says his eyes are white. He goes, of course, it's been boiled, and he puts yeah. it together. I actually thought it was yeah. quite a good. So I thought that was good boiled, science. The chimp like, boiled the baggage handler. Is that what he did? No, I don't. I think it was good science. I like yeah. it's again. It's the same sort of Occam's yeah. anti-razor. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you call it. Hang on, this that, fish, that leap of fish, has white eyes. Therefore, therefore, this must be an alien creature, which is sucking people's memories out through their eyeballs. No, no, he doesn't no. Dump in, no, he's saying their eyes were boiled, <laughs> but then he goes and decides to look into the brain the smooth yeah. brain it's the combination of the bored eyes and the smooth brain sure. means it must be some sort of alien but entity I, I love sucking memories through eyes I love the quote another quote actually perhaps we should have another quote at this point straight yeah, okay. from the film stick it on can you tell me how he died smooth as a baby's bottom you saw this man today and he was normal absolutely it must be a mutation a freak of nature What's so special about this brain? Learning and memory are engraved on the normal brain, leaving a wrinkled surface. This brain has been drained. The memory has been removed, like chalk erased from a blackboard. That's science, bitches. That's an amazing piece of science. Yeah. Memories leave wrinkles on the surface of the brain. No wrinkles, no memories. The memories have right. been wiped. It's the brain has been drained clean because sight. it's not wrinkly. Can I make a confession? I almost Googled that. There's like... <laughs> <laughs> you checked your was like, no, You were so bought into Peter's <laughs> explanation of that that you had to check it out. Peter Cushing like, sold it to you. He yeah, said, I always typed it to Google. Peter Cushing wrinkly brain drain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's uh, not real, but I think the fact that you were gonna Google it means it's science enough for, yeah. for Horror Express. Yeah. Well, I was like, where did who came up with that idea? Yeah. That brain wrinkle. So does that mean by the time if you're like someone who absorbs information, like you're a scientist? If we cut your head open, your brain will be really wrinkly. Really, you'll have a wrinkly like Mr. Burns's face. How wrinkly, Mr. Oh, I forgot his name. Oh, it's the guy in the wheelchair. Stephen Hawking. Who's the guy in the wheelchair? As if he hasn't got enough to contend with. He's also got a wrinkly brain. His brain is the wrinkliest brain ever. No, no. Oh, man. But yeah. Okay, so that, and is, is this also the bit where... So when is the bit where they look into, into the eyes? That is the other great bit of science. 
Uh, is that the images of oh, memories are in the eyes. That's later. Oh, that's so we're gone. Gonna, are we going to yeah. jump to that then? Because this is the bit where they, they uh, start to realise that the, the entity that is jumping from person to person yeah, is alien in origin, right? Uh, this is also a case of, at that point, they think they've dealt with it. They don't realise that the thing has moved to another person. In this case, the, the Inspector Mirov. So Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing think that they've dealt with it. Is, is generally the premise here at this point. Now, so we should say, this, that the, just before this, so the creature's now killed um, a thief, another thief on the train, a female thief who was after something that was in the baggage car. Yeah, safe. something, yada, yada. Yeah, um, it's killed her. Yada, yada, and, then, and then the inspector... Um, I don't remember that at all. Like, no. <laughs> it it does happen, it does happen. Yeah, the, the inspector um, shoots the uh, fossily chimp dead. Yeah, we've established uh, that. Yeah, but, but but not before not before um, it manages to stare him in the eyes. Something happens there. You don't quite know what at that point. But so if you've seen the trailer, you know that what's happened is his consciousness has swapped from the fossilly chimp to the inspector. But what I don't understand is um, its left arm seems to have jumped with it. Yeah, because <laughs> now, now he's got the chimp's arm. And I don't know why why that happened. But it comes and goes because. When he's being, when he's like around people, he's he's looks normal. Mm. Yet when he walks around corridors stalking people, he's got one manky like. He's got one manky chimp hand. Yeah, hand, yeah. yeah, one manky fossil chimp hand. Yeah, but if we're that. willing to accept the wrinkly brain premise, then it's we're pretty okay with the yeah. whole with the with, mm. the, with the hand. I don't thing. know if I am no. okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so sure, we're talking about consciousness here. I mean, otherwise, would he have not just turned into a chimp? It's a good point, well made. Um, so a bunch of other stuff happens, uh, and then. Um, but let's get to the uh, bit where Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing get a microscope yeah. and look at the blood from the eye. They've they've got the chimp body, and they decide that we're going to have a look at. I don't know why the the they look at one of his eyes and they think right, let's extract the blood from the eye. I don't think I've ever seen that in another I, film I where think, let's look at the blood from the eye. At, th- at this point, Saxton's managed to, I think, piece together the fact that the creature is absorbing people's memories and combining them. Right. So, at the minute so, now, this, this creature is part baggage handler, part international spy, part, um, part scientist, part policeman. So all cop. It's basically yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically James Bond but able to stack suitcases as well. <laughs> so um and that the 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 bar uh, the, the thing that the print that the spy was trying to steal from a safe in the baggage car was a kind of steel which is harder than a diamond and um worth a fortune um to the count who's travelling on the train. Um mm, but never mind because the formula of the steel is safe in the count's head. That's that's handy. Uh, yeah, nobody knows right. the formula except the count. Right, right. So that, that, that's cool. That's I not very good. Any of that? Um, yeah. that totally went over you my head. You slept through that bit. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> I slept through the second act. But yeah, I think it certainly it, sounds like it. I think so, I think the thing sucked that first second out of my yeah. brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you look at my brain, brain. tiny little smooth yeah. patch, <laughs> which was the second act, it's gone. <laughs> All this science kind of takes us to the third act, which I guess is when is when Telly Savalas. Turns oh, up uh-huh. as Captain Kazan the Cossack. And, I, and, just. and my favourite line oh. in the film actually is when he says, um, he says he, he knows that a horse has four legs and he knows that a murderer has two. <laughs> no, has two, two arms. arms. 
Which, you know, yes. unless it's a one-armed well, murderer. Unless it's the fugitive. Unless, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he was yeah, a one-armed yeah. murderer, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And I think that just shows that he yeah. has some sort of prejudice against the able-bodied. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the able-bodied guys are all murderers, but, but anyone with a handicap... It's like anti-prejudice. Yeah. Anyone with a handicap is fine. Ca- yeah, Innocent. Cool. Yeah. And, they've, and I think everyone on the train is able-bodied, so they'd better watch out. Because yeah. <laughs> here comes Telly Savalas. And, uh, yeah, and he just proceeds to go around and just bully everyone. He hits people. I'm sure Christopher Lee takes a gun takes stock. A, yeah, so Christopher Lee takes mm-hmm. a hit and then and then Peter Cushing says, this is outrageous, or something uh, British, yeah. and he takes a hit as yeah. well. So two English guys get a bit of a, a shoo-in. Um, and, and then, where does it go from there? I think Mad Monk... Um, the Mad Monk says something about... So, so what happens at this point, uh, the, the creature is in uh, Inspector Mirov. Yeah. And, the Russian um, Morse. The Russian Morse. And I think everyone twigs this on account of the fact that he's got this one mm. twisted chimp arm. Mm. And, and he and the monk go um, running into the compartment and shut the door. And, and this leads to my favourite line. No, no wait, but before, before we get to your favourite line, I'd like to mm. say what happens in that. I just realised... They, they, basically everyone works out it's Inspector Mirov and he decides to they, the lights cut out he tries to leg it and he gets shot about eight times and um, Terry Savall uh, he throws a knife in his back and he pretty much gets everything he can get as he's trying to leave the car but there's one one of the um, of Terry Savall's cronies he's standing next to the door and just watches him walk past hobble past him getting shot and, let, and pretty much does everything but open the door for him to leave he then leaves <laughs> And then the mad monk goes, right, I'm leaving with him. And yeah. the same guy lets him escape as well. Right? Yeah. This guy just, he's, basically, he, he's like confused with a gun in his hands, by the way. Let's both two people leave the compartment, <laughs> one of which we know is actually the bad guy. It was just, sure. I mean, that, I was just, I didn't understand that at all. But, you know, hey. You can't get the help, I think. No, <laughs> I know. It's the problem. I love Kojak's line in that particular part as well when they say, what if, what if the priest is innocent? We've got lots of innocent yeah, ones. Yeah, that was the bit. Yeah. That was the bit I wanted to play. Oh, is that sorry? No worries. No worries. That was the bit I wanted to play. That's my favourite line of the film. Is, right. We've got loads of innocent monks. <laughs> we've got loads of them. We've got loads of them. You can't move for them. Yeah. <laughs> they're always trying to catch the bus they're always yeah. there's these holes they're everywhere fucking innocent monks I tell you they're tripping over them <laughs> and they're all on welfare fucking <laughs> <laughs> wankers they're like, they're like ants I tell you <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's um, so and then from that point the the mm. evil energy passes itself over to the mad monk who offers himself up for sacrifice uh, offers himself up as a Host or, or however yeah. you want to put it. Uh, what's his next step? Goes to get the count. <clears throat> or something like that. Yeah, or like, something like he, that. I think his yeah. plan is just yeah. to get off the planet, much like the thing. He, he wants to build yeah. a spaceship. And somebody has knowledge of this steel and somebody else knows how to heat, heat, heat about heating about it to heating temperatures. To some crazy temperatures asks, so you can build a spaceship. There's an engineer just, on the train. It just happens to be conveniently on the Siberian train. And so knows he's got all rockets. the ingredients he needs really to yeah. get the hell out of this just what for him must be pretty much a, a, a dump of a planet. I mean, he's been let, let we, we find out he's been left behind, I think, like E.T., yeah. mm. except for much, much longer and with no <laughs> ability to phone home. So mm. he just he's just desperate to get away from all these chumps at this stage. Yeah, and you think, let him. 
Yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, I mean, why doesn't he just say at some point, uh, you know, kind of catch a lift off of somebody? Great. I mean, maybe just let him go. Excellent. But no, instead of killing everybody. Um, and then we get to the end game, which is he's in the he's in the monk. Yeah. Now and uh, and the, and the, and the train, and they've decided that they're gonna let the train go past the switching points and crash off the end of a cliff. But before that, and they asked it, but but just quickly, they asked the guys to do it, uh, on the, uh, and they say uh, there must just be a war on. Yeah. So what about, <laughs> what about all the passengers that are gonna uh, die? Well, there must probably, just be a war on. And in a war, you would war. crash civilian a train, train of civilians yeah, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why they built train tracks up to a cliff up to the edge of a cliff <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not clever just in case of war in um, case there was a war and there was a train load of civilians if that is for yeah. planning yeah they probably have it on a poster and they think in case of war crash off crash. cliff <laughs> oh, crash <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Paul Lever crash cliff <laughs> um, and um so then they, they um, basically, Christopher Lee and Spoiler Peter Cushing, alert now, everybody. Yeah. They leg it to the back of the train where all the um, people are in the, in the dining car and where all the zombies are. And they're fighting all the zombies off and they get to the back of the train. Meanwhile, Monk Boy goes to the engine of the train. Um, and, uh, and then that's where we get the people at the train station. Oh, there must be a war on. Let's crash it. <laughs> and then they cut the, they, they, the Peter Cushing and all the good guys, all the rich people. Yeah, they all. They all uh... Are you turning this? You're suddenly turning this into some sort of political allegory yeah. about, about the bourgeoisie, yeah. the bourgeoisie, the proletariat, alien yeah. stroke monkey, yeah. causing him to yeah. crash off the train. Yeah, they, that they, what you're they, yeah. It's, it's a metaphor because they cut, they, they they cut all ties to the train. Yeah, <laughs> and then they yeah, and they get the man to crash the train. I'm telling you, it's an analogy. It's an analogy. Yep. And um, anyway, so Matt, Rasputin, the mad alien monk. And all of his zombie cronies all go off the cliff and blow up. And crash. And, 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 and in tip, a typical kind of that era of films, boom, end. Boom, end. Yeah. yeah. I do like the, uh, the, the last little shot you get, though, is of planet Earth receding into the distance. So maybe the alien got back maybe after all. Maybe he got back Aww. after all. Or oh, went and, back to hell. Which is more likely. <laughs> all the way through the film, there was this weird tune they kept whistling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like I don't know where that came from because the, the alien was whistling it so I was like is that an alien tune is that E.T.'s like maybe that's his language maybe he's like Wales yeah <laughs> next to England yeah <laughs> um, so um, I guess that's that That was the plot in a nutshell yeah in a nutshell that yeah. was the plot of the film so um, what do we think of it I guess is the next question I mean, I'll, I'll start I've got to say that although there were there were claggy elements of the plot a lot of this film worked for me first of all I love Film set on trains. Anyway, mm. I think it's always a fun setting for a train. Mm. Uh, it's a fun setting for a movie I love. You know, yeah. films like Emperor of the North, and the, Runaway Train. The pinnacle being Under Siege 2, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, so the, the setting worked for me. I thought oh. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was nice to see them playing on the same <clears> side <throat> mm. in the, for the same team, if you like. Uh, I thought Telly Savalas was a hoot. Um, you know, there's a kind of, the creature effects were good. One thing that really did occur to me while I was re-watching that is just how similar in plot points a lot of it is to The Thing, which is one of my favourite films. The alien creature found in the ice, um, the, the, the idea of who is The Thing, who, you know, paranoia amongst the crew, um, and the alien wanted to get off the planet, all the alien wants to do is leave. I actually quite like those, those ideas. Um, and I say, uh, yeah, there, there are some claggy elements in it and some clanky lines, but, you know... 
this film, I think the reason why I picked it was because when I watched the original You Scott about a year ago, is we did actually have a bit of a laugh with it when mm. we were watching it together and making you know yeah. jokes about it and stuff like that. And it was actually quite an enjoyable, mm. you know, film to watch with a mate. But I think that's just because of its age, not necessarily because it's a bad film. Yeah. I remember on our old website we used to grade films out of five minus scores. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. And minus one was basically just just a normal bad film and then it went all the way up to minus five which was Jack Frost no that yeah. was minus six <laughs> we gave that a minus six <laughs> that was the um, and one day and one day I think we're, we're going to have to revisit I'm afraid that film um, I've never seen it is it really that bad yeah so if I had to give this a clag rating I think it would have to be minus one which means it's actually not really that bad we've had a lot of fun talking about the, the mad bits in the film and uh, you know, I kind of agree with Luke that there's a lot of it to enjoy so let's not let's not vote on it now we've got two more films to talk about House by the Century Dungeons and Dragons um, so let's see where we end up at the end Doctor Peterson commits uh, suicide after killing his mistress. Dr. Norman Boyle heads to Boston to investigate, taking his wife Lucy and son Bob with him. They stay in the house, by the cemetery, of Dr. Peterson. Bob encounters a girl only he can see, and she warns him to leave the house by the cemetery. Is the house by the cemetery? Because I think he goes to the cemetery at some point in the film. It's like 200 miles away from the house. No, I think he, does, he does visit a cemetery in New York. So it's actually but a is, house by our cemetery. Yeah, actually, there is a cemetery in not, the house. Not by the cemetery. Yeah, we'll come to that later. Uh, the boy was hiring a mysterious babysitter for Bob, and shortly after, weird things ensue. And then when Bob enters the basement of the house by the cemetery, its secrets are revealed. Is that your? Did you write this? Yeah. And what? Wow. And what? <laughs> what is the secret? Spoiler alert! What is the big secret? The big revealed? secret is that Doctor Freudstein, the owner of the house, is uh, dead and well and living in the basement. So this is the thing, the central premise of the film, and the thing I had the most trouble with is that Doctor Freudstein or Gronkstein or whatever is a kind of a, uh, a keeping himself alive by murdering victims and stealing their bits. But by alive, we literally mean that Dead. he's a rotting, maggoty-infested mm. zombie guy. Mm. He's been down there for 150 years, and I've got <coughs> to say, I've got to ask the question, quality of life. Uh, I mean, he can't see, he's got no eyes, he's got no mouth, he can't... He doesn't really seem to be in, in getting much enjoyment, and shouldn't really somebody just turn him off? <laughs> turn he, him off! What is he doing this for? <laughs> <clears throat> right, so... Yeah, so he's using body parts. Uh, but I didn't pick up on that either. Like, so I he's, yeah, like, he's to using basically to basically subsist. Sub is what yeah, he's doing. but it's just that is just rubbish. He doesn't yeah. even have a TV down there. Mm. So I should just say I'm a bit of a Fulci fan. Generally, I love zombie flesh eaters. I think it's a great movie. And I quite like the Apocalypse trilogy. And I hadn't really, which of course is City of the Living Dead, the Beyond, and this. And I, and I hadn't watched this recently, I watched it again, and actually it's a lot claggier than I remember it being. It's just uh, one of these films that feels like nothing actually happens, it just gets padded out for 90 minutes and then ends. Mm. Um, I, I actually remember there was a, there was a really good synopsis that used to be on IMDb, but it's now disappeared, someone's written a far better one. Mm. The original synopsis a few months ago that I saw it was, um, 
Uh, family moves into a house where a deranged killer occasionally wanders out to kill people. He also has maggots for blood. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I think the film starts out very promisingly. We've got a credit sequence, then straight away we've got boobs. Mm. So that's Literally one, straight away. Straight away, mm, opening two. shot, so that's a good horror trope. Uh, tick yeah. box. The next thing we've got is a, just a beautiful, I think, and typical Fulci moment. So we've got a guy called Steve hanging on the back of a door. His kind of brains are all oozing out, and there's blood everywhere. And then Fulci zooms in on oh, yeah. a pair of scissors that's sticking out of him. So like, like that's the that's the not the fact that his brains are all hanging out all over the floor, but there's a little pair of scissors stuck in his shoulder. Boom! With the trademark. Boom! But that, that those scissors, the way it was edited and shot, made it look like those scissors were the things that were holding him up on the door. And I was like. No fucking way, man. Those <laughs> tiny scissors. A tiny pet. Maybe that they were, they were what killed him, and the, maybe it wasn't the fact that his brains were all bleeding maybe, out. Maybe he always looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I noticed, and so that, I think, and then we have the credit sequence, and the thing that struck me in the credit sequence is that there's, there's four writers credited. Mm. Four, four? Four writers. Wow. So I'm not sure whether they took a character each. No. <laughs> I don't know how that worked exactly. <laughs> I didn't know that. And then there's the... I think they must have written it in the same way as you play that game where you fold over a piece of paper and everyone watches a different sentence. I think that's how this film was written. And then they have... The, so the subplot is about... Um, if there is, if you could say that there's a subplot, is about uh, this girl, May, um, who uh, it may be real or maybe a ghost, but either way, is really bad at warning people not to do things because it tends to be that she warns them when she's very far away from them in another room and, and not and by phone or anything yeah, like she that. she doesn't seem to be able to shout very loud. And she doesn't whispers. shout, so she'll mm. say, Bob, don't go in the house, Bob, when Bob is clearly some distance away and going into the well, house. I think they didn't really say she's a ghost or real or not, because no one else seemed to see the girl. But what got me, there was a bit where she's, where she's on her own, right? So at this point, she sort of insinuates she's a spirit or whatever, yeah? She's on her own. She's standing in front of a shop window. And then we get this weird frigging mannequin, freaky looking mannequin thing, and the head comes off. And so, she's like crying. But hang on, she's a ghost getting haunted? I don't... not sure what that's about. <laughs> yeah. That's a really odd odd scene because the, the shots of the mannequin, who I think is meant to be the babysitter, it comes into yeah. it later. Yeah, yeah. So the, the shots of the mannequin being decapitated, uh, interspersed with really dull shots of the car, Bringing, bringing Bob and the family to the house, and it's kind of like that's the weirdest bit. Yeah. Like, is what's so, happening? Is the car going to head towards, or is mm. something going to? Are these two events going to merge in some way? Absolutely so, not. And the decapitation, the Doesn't mannequin happen. goes on for like two minutes, just yeah. very slowly. The head rolls off, and and then what happens is, yeah, you're right. The the mannequin is supposed to be, I think, like a like an the, image the of the spooky house. It's a yeah. bit of foreshadowing. But then when. But when you see the housekeeper and then the film goes, look, this woman's supposed to be the mannequin, you mm. get flashbacks to the girl who's not with them seeing the mannequin. Mm. They didn't see the mannequin. Mm. So no. no, but 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 we did, and I think that the film... Oh, we did, the, so this giving us the, flashbacks to... The film... <laughs> I, I think it, the, the film sets its stall out quite early on in assuming that everyone that's watching it is an idiot by the way that <laughs> yeah. they, they actually recap the plot twice in the space of two minutes at the start of the film. Yeah. Um... Yeah, when, when, when they're on the streets of New York and um, Bob's, uh, sorry, Norman's colleague explains to him why he's going. And a fantastic bit of exposition explains the plot of the film basically in two seconds. In two seconds. Should we, should we watch that? Let's certainly, watch that. Certainly. I'm leaving tomorrow. Who 
Lucy still hasn't made up her mind. I have a lot of guts picking up the reins of someone else's research at its most critical point. Especially when that someone else was the scientist of Eric Peterson's caliber. Well, I'll tell you, Boyle. You're the only man who can keep this project from going down in the rain. I mean, apart from the 5,000 more you're going to be earning a year, you were Peterson's protege, and also, I believe, one of his best friends. And I know you're itching to clear up his suicide. I don't want to explain, but I know you'll get to the bottom of it. Well, try The important thing is, when this huge project gets published, it'll have just your name on it. Think what authorship can mean. Yeah. Publish? Or put up? Yeah. What do you think Eric would have done in a shield like that? Well, I don't know. No idea. Apprehensions? Yeah. It's scary. You organized the project? Got it underway? That he did. And then, oh, well, no, no reason. Abandoned everything. Slaughtered his mistress and... And there he was, researching suicide. Uh, the times we have to live in. Taxi! Oh, the humanity! Taxi! Boom, done, right scene. And that was Lucio Fulci um, talking to one of the Bee Gees. <laughs> was that actually the director? Yes. Or yeah, that is the that director. Is Lucio That's Fulci. Yes. That's the Hitchcock cameo for you. Mm. Okay. So, um, I've got to talk... I noticed, by the way, on that scene, uh, just talking, just literally what we just saw, obviously, people, people listening right here, I've seen it. The actor playing the dad... I noticed during that scene, Spence seemed to spend most of his time what, getting rid of eye boogers and adjusting his glasses and playing with his hair. Like he just didn't, see, didn't know what to do with his hands. He's just like, I'm just going to like play around my face whilst we talk. Just like, doing my head in. Anyway, what are you going to say, John? I wanted to talk a little bit about about Bob and May, who are the two kids in the film. Man, we could hold, we could do a whole podcast about. They Bob. are they are first of all the, the kind of ugliest kids. Probably, I think, the ugliest kids that have ever appeared in any movie. Bob looks like a 40-year-old with some kind of syndrome. There's a bit where he's driving the car at the start, and it turns out he's not driving the car, he's got, like, a kid's wheel. Oh, but I actually yeah. thought he was driving the car, because I thought because I thought maybe he was 40. Um, and, um, and I kind of think the film is about, really, in a way, about the parents kind of just trying to get rid of Bob. Yeah. Kind of, so that's my theory. They I kind of... Don't know if they're trying to get rid of him because ninety percent of the dialogue in this film is them calling for him. Yeah. They do call, for, and, he, and he's definitely got some sort of attention issue or hearing problem <laughs> because they seem to call him Bob, Bob a lot, and he doesn't. But then May also doesn't listen to May. Time to go, May. Um, and and <laughs> but, but they so they when they move uh, they move to this new place. They go to pick up the keys from the estate agent and they leave Bob in the car. So clearly they're just trying to get rid of him. They're hoping that, that he'll wander off and die or that somebody will <laughs> kidnap him. And unfortunately he doesn't wander off far enough and they, and they get him back. And then they clearly hire a babysitter for him who is <laughs> psychopathic or insane or a de devil worshipper or something. So clearly that they're hoping... He's it, but he is. Nuddy's laughing at my notes, which say he's a whiny little bastard. He is a whiny little bastard. Can you get me some candy? He's just incredibly irritated. He's got a foppish, moppish, uh, little Lord Fauntleroy haircut. He's he's very he's very irritating, and clearly they're they're trying to get they're trying to get rid of him. And I think there's a there's a there's a very funny bit where Bob gets trapped in the in the in the cellar with Freudstein, and um, uh, they. Uh, 
They're trying to get him out, and the key just won't turn. And it's like, I'm sorry, Bob, the key just, we just can't, the key won't turn. Yeah. And they're having to force the key with a pair of pliers or something. Clearly not. And Clearly they just want Bob to die. <laughs> well, you make a good point. Well made. <laughs> and there's a bit there's a bit where the babysitter actually turns out to not be evil, uh, is getting killed by Freudstein in the basement, and she's calling out for Bob. Bob, come and rescue me. Please help me, Bob. And Bob is such a useless little shit. Just kind of wanders and, and wanders around the house with his... He can't see because of his foppish haircut covering his eyes, and Anne gets killed... And Bob does nothing. What a, what a little asshole. Can we, what do we all think about Bob? I, um, he does my head in. First of all, I think he's got... I don't understand what his voice... I know he's obviously been dubbed by somebody else, mm. but I don't know who that other person was. It's either like a, a, a young... A, a girl in their 20s mm-hmm. or a guy in his 20s trying to sound like a boy. Exactly. It's, it's an adult. It's plainly an adult trying to sound like a child. And, and it just comes across more like Mickey Mouse. Hey, Pluto, Dr. Freudstein's in the basement. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> but it adds to the creepiness of the kid. He's, he's really he... creepy, isn't he? He's yeah. really creepy. And there's the bit, my, probably the only bit in the film that I actually really like is the bit where they, when they can't get the key to turn into the door and, they, and the dad tries to, tries to uh, axe the door down and Freudstein is holding Bob's head to against the door. The door. Yeah. And maybe the axe will split the little bastard's cranium, and that's probably my that's favourite bit. bit in the film. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that that is done better in Fulci's other film, City of the Living Dead. The funny thing is that um, I spent this entire film, and I've seen this once before. It was a little while ago, a year ago, probably. And I spent the entire film waiting for that scene, <laughs> and then realised that actually I was watching the wrong film. So, <laughs> oh, you, so you were waiting for the, yeah. for, the, for the cemetery scene from City of the Living Dead I knew, and then it never I knew, turned up. I knew there was a tombstone in the floor in the house and I thought the pickaxe bit was in there somewhere and I, uh, I spent the whole film waiting for that scene. Um, and, then there's, and then there's a couple of moments in the, scene, in the film which are a lot of fun, which make no sense to me. Uh, there's a scene where the housekeeper is cleaning all the blood off the floor uh, that was caused by Freudstein uh, murdering and mutilating the estate agent woman. Yeah. And, and this is a really weird bit because um, the, the Catriona McCall character, the mum, comes in and goes, Hey, I've made coffee. You want some coffee? And clearly this woman is cleaning up blood. I saw that. Mm. Yeah. And I thought that meant that she was, uh, that the housekeeper was like, uh, the babysitter was a baddie that was in on it, was covering up Freudstein's murders. Actually, that's not the case. So first of all, uh, the housekeeper's clean at the blood and doesn't mention it to the wife. Yeah. The wife and then the wife doesn't is... ask why she's cleaning no, up no, a no, massive no, no. pile of blood. <laughs> the, wife, the wife comes in and, and the cleaner's got her back to the wife as she walks in as she's mopping up this massive pool of blood. Massive pool of blood, massive. <laughs> and, and then the, and the, wife, the wife comes in and goes, oh, what are you doing? And then, and then the housekeeper just asks, oh, I've made coffee. You're not what that. You're not making coffee. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Neither of them ask the other for an explanation of what the big pool of blood. <laughs> it's a real what because she's made coffee or because she's cleaning up blood. It's really not entirely clear. And I think if they, well, these guys had just talked to each other like normal human beings would do. Yeah. They would have cleared this all up much quicker. But do you not think this could have been Freudstein was in the basement? Do you not think that could have been a, a factor of it being obviously an Italian film and just with broken English and not actually being able to. One, put together a normal sounding conversation because no one seemed to be responding to each other's 
what, what, one, of, one of the things I was going to say was I, I wonder I watched this obviously the English dub version and I wonder if I might not have been better served watching it in Italian with English subtitles because I've got a feeling that a lot of it was lost in translation because none of it makes any sense there's also the whole issue with the housekeeper because there's a bit where they meet for the first time they're all standing in the kitchen and they've got this weird this weird bit where they're all it's very close up on their eyes yeah and like then the, the wife looks at the husband and the ugly yeah the wife looks at the husband the husband looks at the housekeeper the housekeeper looks at the wife and they're all looking at each other and then the scene ends you know, yeah you would expect what? a shootout wouldn't you yeah. <laughs> you would expect a shootout where Tuco goes down yeah. you know or they get rid of Angel Eyes or something, but no, that, nothing happens yeah. it's just cut away to it's, just, it's just a really weird little bit uh, and, and, and they never explain like if she's bad or not because she cl- cleans up the blood like we said and and then like it just it's just insinuated she's got some ulterior motive the way she acts Absolutely, around them but, but then she just gets beef chopped but she just gets beef chopped and there's no She's, there's no there's no subplot there like you were maybe hoping for. And she oh also like when she dies that she's standing against the door and Freudstein basically she stands and let, stands against the door and lets Freudstein slice down one side of her neck, then slices down the other. Yeah, no attempt is, at all. So yeah. Yeah. so this is a motif that I think goes through the whole movie mm. because when he when Freudstein who let's face it is a very very slow maggoty Fulci style zombie. When he kills the estate agent woman by kind of stabbing her very, very slowly in <laughs> yeah. the chest and then again in the neck, she really just lies there and takes it, it like a trooper. Mm-hmm. I think it takes poor old feeble Freudstein a good five minutes to manage this feat. Um, um, and she just say, sit, lies there and quivers, isn't she? I thought the makeup was very good when she got stabbed in the neck. The makeup effects are pretty cool for the most part. I think a lot of them are pretty good. Mm, some of them. Uh, the, the, the bat being an exception. Oh, like, the, the bat! Oh cinema's, cinema's most unconvincing bat. Yes. But going back, going quickly, and before, the, before and we get. She hates, I mean, animals generally, but bats particularly. <laughs> yeah. Bats because this bat takes it far worse, I think, <laughs> than any of the humans in the film. The well, bat really takes a, a hammer in, doesn't it? Well, first <laughs> of all. Well and truly cut up. I they wander down in the basement. I don't know what's going on. They go down there for a laugh or something, and then he, then um, the bat attacks the wife, um, which apparently the actress hated bats in real life and literally had to get over her fear of them because they actually at one point used a real bat mm. or something like that. Really? Although, because it, although no, 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 they literally apparently for like one shot in it, where they actually got a bat and got it tangled in her hair on purpose, like. Mm. Because you know what the Italians like back then with um, filmmaking. It was like, yeah, we'll just cut a head off a horse. It's fine. <laughs> like, it's just so, um, we'll entangle a bat. Yeah. And fuck a bit sonar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in this scene, basically, yeah, it, it for some reason decides to chomp down on the dad's hand, and it does. It stays on there like it's fucking like it's wired onto his hand. Like it's literally soldered on. The thing is like welded to his hand. He cannot get it off for love nor money. Blood spraying everywhere. They run up into the kitchen. The dad throws his fist around, covers the kid in blood, <laughs> 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 um, and then he and then he just he, he just sort of has his hand on the table, just stares at it for a while, shouting and screaming, and then gets a pair of scissors, massive scissors, and when he stabs it, blood comes out of everywhere from yeah. the back. <laughs> like he stabs it in the back, yet loads of other little holes appear in the back, and blood oozes out of all these holes. I don't know what that was. Um, such a weird scene because the whole, that whole bat thing goes on for. I would say at least four minutes. It, it goes on forever. Yeah. And 
There's no purpose. What's to the it. point of it? Yeah. The... Is it a Freudstein bat? It's because it's not. Yeah. A, it's not a vampire, is he? I mean, there's no. no, no it's a zombie, there's so the... there's no real purpose for the bat. Did Freudstein train the bat? Is it's it? kind <laughs> of like, isn't it? Yeah, it was... It's kind of like those uh, in American horror movies, the full scare when they're. The, there's a creak at the door and you're expecting to see the monster and actually a cat jumps out. But it, but the equivalent in, a, in an American film would be if then somebody then, then took the cat and, and, and cut it up with a big pair of scissors. <laughs> Take that, cat! <laughs> yeah. And blood came out of loads of different holes. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, oh, it's, yeah, so, such a bizarre bit. And I um, also remember when the... Um, State agent got killed that we mentioned. She got stabbed in the neck. Yet when he's dragging the body off, her head's all melted. Head, she's been completely beef chopped. Her head like, is like horrible post mortem mutilation yeah. or something. I, I don't know. I did. Uh, I took a look at uh, that because uh, I wasn't sure if maybe this was a cut version. Um, it's not. It is the full version. But apparently, they filmed a scene of her eye being gouged out. And, right. Okay. Uh, thought she thought it looked like a load of crap. Oh, that didn't stop him oh with my the bat. goodness me! Oh, wow. That didn't stop him with the bat, so it must have really, <laughs> really <laughs> been. Yeah, yeah. One, one can only imagine how crap that. Yeah. Was, <laughs> what sort of cereal was used in this yeah. special effect <laughs> sequence for Lucio to not put it in? This looking like a Rice Krispie. Yeah. Look like no eye. This look like a yogurt or something. So it just didn't go in. I see. I'll tell Mrs. Gittleson. Um, please tell her we want to move out no later than tomorrow. Yes, very well. Well, will it be be difficult to find another house? I can't really say, but I don't think so. Thank God for that. Don't forget now. No later than tomorrow, okay? Yes, very well. I'll call Mrs. Gittleson and have her stop over this evening. Goodbye. Motherfucking Grunkstein house. <laughs> I mean, first of all, the bit that bit there, it's not so much what he's saying, it's the way he's acting. Mm. Like, it's brilliant, like he's so bored. The most sarcastic and, yeah, and yeah. bored. Yeah. Every in the day, somebody comes in with their stories about zombies in the basement, yeah. they want another house. Someone oh. always coming in wanting to buy and some it. property. Those Oh dear! I mean, he 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 looks that bored. I'm assuming he must have already seen. He must it. have watched the movie yeah. already. He must have just watched the movie. <laughs> should well, we watch the um? Should we see the librarian dude? Let's see the librarian dude. Ah, it's you. Surprised? Well, uh, it's Sunday, and uh, I thought. Uh, I know. What are you doing here? <clears throat> Nothing. Just a routine check. One of my duties is to check all the wings of the library uh, on Sunday, when we're closed. <clears throat> I won't disturb you any longer. Excuse me. First of all, it's the most unnecessary plot moment anyway. Yeah. Why this guy's coming in and saying, hey, I'm always here on a Sunday checking the wings. Yeah. But he's just so awkward. I mean, yeah. like he's stalking him or he came in because he knew he was going to be there so he could be all simpering and touching his jumper in suggestive ways. It's really a weird scene. Why is this guy's story? Everything about this film is weird. None of the characterisation works and it's just like, why? Why? I feel like there's a whole different film about the creepy librarian <laughs> that we could have been watching that's probably... I'm not going to say it's better than this. the film we're actually watching, 
Um, but it, but but it couldn't have been worse. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, uh, it's there's just all these characters in it, especially especially the the supporting characters. They're just weird. Like they they all act odd. Like the the way the the housekeeper acts. Like she's knows she's in on something. He act that that librarian is almost acting like he's in on something. It's like everyone around the family is in on something, but they're not. N- n- nothing seems to uh, flow properly. Um, you're looking. You're not looking at a film that's dealing with reality. And Freud's theme seems to be able to appear in two places at once in some cases. <laughs> like he kills the babysitter and takes her head, and then the next second he's rolling it down the staircase. How did he get past Bob? And there's a very funny bit, I've got to say as well, where Catriona McCall dies by just very badly and unrealistically falling down some stairs. <laughs> which which it's sounds just... like her head is made of metal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the, the, the sound effects are really noisy, yeah. and yet Catriona's not really hitting yeah. any of the steps as she goes the, down. Some of the Foley sounds in this are unbelievable. Really unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So it's, it's literally like, like, it's like she had a metal wood, plate. And they're just playing a lightsaber fight with them. Yeah. And <laughs> they, we'll use that sound for her head lightly tapping some steps on the way down. Presumably, yeah. if you die by repeatedly hitting your metal head against metal steps, mm. that that doesn't then allow you to go into the land of ghosts and dreams mm. at the end. It's only the foppish-haired, irritating <laughs> child boy, man-boy uh, Bob that gets yeah. to do that. And, of course, there's one bit we've all, we've all talked over and missed... The well, railing scene. No, the railing. Oh, well, I think I think we've left the best till last time. Yeah. Because if I'm going to pick one thing out of the house, but I absolutely love, it's the um, Fulci's zooms and <laughs> zooms and, and crashes. Zooms and, and and orchestral moments are very funny, and the surely the best one has to be. Um, he hung himself from that railing. Can we can we do that quickly? Can we watch oh, yeah, that quickly? I think so. Done. He hung himself from oh, that, that railing. railing. <clears throat> well, if you need me, I'm in the next room. Thank you. You know where uh, he hanged himself? There, from that railing. <laughs> such a weird moment again. So that's yeah. wonderful, I love that. But, um, awesome. So overall, what do we think of House by the Cemetery? Uh, uh, let's not think about House by the Cemetery. You know, if you'd have asked me, uh, before I rewatched this for this podcast, uh, if you'd asked me if I liked this film, then I would have said, yeah, because I kind of just bundle it in with the Beyond and City of the Living Dead and Zombie Flesh Eaters, and I, kinda, I do kind of love Fulci's films. But having revisited this particular one, I kind of think it is definitely one of his lesser movies. Uh, it's dull. Uh, it doesn't, confused. It's dull and confused. It doesn't make any sense. It has a few gory trademark Fulci moments, but they're few and far between. Uh, the acting is risible. Uh, the dubbing is terrible and just just reduces the whole thing to the level of pantomime. So I I think for me this film is one of those one of those horror films, the Italian horrors. That I will like a couple of years from now when someone says have you seen that I'll go yeah I think so and I'll have it mixed up with about eight other films that are all very similar <laughs> and they're pretty bad yeah. as, uh, as I said I mean I got it confused with the Beyond because I was, I was no see the dead all the way through got it confused you confused now already you don't know what they are now in, in less than ten minutes <laughs> and it, yeah it's just like a really boring story told in like ninety minutes <laughs> it's very, in a very boring way yeah. yeah so I think it's a, it's a three or four. Class rating for me I'd probably say three 
Yeah. Free, free, free stars. Um, free, well, I don't know what, free popcorns. Okay, no, I'll, I'll fall between two stalls and say 3.5. So, um, <laughs> so it's a contender, I think, for, for winner of our first episode. But, but we'll it's, got, it's, got to beat, it's got to beat uh, Courtney Solomon's Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we'll be back talking about that after we've watched this trailer. There's one small problem. Problem? I kind of committed us to find it. We have to start. Obviously, John, this is your choice. So you have to give us a synopsis of what the fuck happened in this film. <laughs> so um, so I've picked Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, I have very fond memories of seeing this. Uh, the cinema. So this came out uh, in the States, uh, Christmas 2000. Uh, it was released by New Line Cinema, who just just a short year later were going to were going to release Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring wow. on the world. So the same studio that gave us Lord of the Rings also gave us just a twelve months before Dungeons and Dragons. So the two greatest kind of fantasy franchises out there. How could one go so right and the other one go so wrong? So I I saw this in and it was released by Entertainment Film Distributors in the UK and it was released uh, in two thousand and one uh, for Valentine's Day, which I think was quite clever because 
obviously the the kind of nerds that played Dungeons and Dragons, myself being one of them, <laughs> didn't have dates for Valentine's Day, so all would go to the go to the cinema to see this. That was the idea. So I went with nerd. Not that I'm calling you a role playing nerd, but uh, we you came, used to role play. But you <laughs> you are a nerd, and we did use role play. So. Um, we went to see this with, with a bunch of our other nerdish friends, and I remember that we all uh, hated it, except mm. for Colin, mm. our friend, Big Show, who is kind of like the anti-Ebert, the anti-Roger Ebert, because whilst I agree with every review Roger Ebert writes pretty much, I disagree with everything Colin says about mm. movies. <laughs> so he said that he loved this film, um, and I, uh, I absolutely hated it. Uh, but I thought it was right for revisiting, and uh, so we watched it again for this podcast. And boy, oh boy, do I still hate it! I um, oh. I think you um, you just mentioned there what um, what made the difference between Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings, and I think I can answer that in one word: talent. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess this is quite a convoluted story about how this got made. Is the producer is a guy called, and the director is a guy called Courtney Solomon, who went to TSR. And, and effectively negotiated, who were the owners of Dunge the Dungeons and Dragons game back, back in 2000, or I think it was 1990, in fact, when he got the rights. It took him a while to get the thing made. Um, and how he says it is that the, the TSR kind of, he wanted to get people like Francis Ford Coppola involved, and TSR mm. nixed all of these suggestions. And then when Courtney Solomon says, well, I'll direct it, TSR went, yeah, great. So I just, which I can't imagine why anyone, this, he was 19 years old, I think, and he'd never directed a film before, so why TSR would go, go on, Courtney, you do it, because Coppola, what's he done? Um, so you Not do much, it. Not much, compared to Courtney Solomon. And Courtney Solomon, I think, has gone on record to say that he was an inexperienced director, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, clearly this is just a absolute tangled mess of... Oh, mess. Well, and first, somebody is responsible, I think, Courtney Solomon, being the producer, director, and co writer, the finger has been pointed at him, and I would say, rightly so. Uh, <laughs> the shoe fits, Solomon. Um, yeah, I remember going to see it with you. I remember absolutely hating it, but it was a hoot to watch. Like, yeah, in the cinema, still, we maybe were... it's still a hoot to watch. But yeah. it's not, um, not because that it's it's well done no. or that anything about it works it's a hoot to watch because it works it's so it's such a mess it's yeah, exactly. so bad it's that's the whole that's that is the mo of a good claggy film yeah absolutely it's, it's not actually a good film it's just good to watch with your mates and basically take the piss out of it so I, I remember seeing this film for the first time because it was last night so, right, okay. Yeah. Said, <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. Yeah. And didn't you end up buying two copies of this? So I've got a doubly apologise. Yeah, I, I, to yeah you. I, 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 um, I ended up buying two copies by accident. I don't know how many times many people could say that. But, <laughs> but, but they own more yeah. than one copy of Dungeons yeah, and Dragons. Yeah. Um, yeah, I accidentally bought two copies. Um, uh, and God knows I didn't even want to watch the one. So anyone out there wants a copy of Dungeons and Dragons, that'll be our prize. You can win all the films yeah. except uh, Horror Express, <laughs> House Blood Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk. Let's start by talking about the plot. So basically, Courtney Solomon had the rights to the name Dungeons and Dragons. So um, so Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons. Plays, uh, plays an evil mage called Profion. We know he's an evil mage because he acts evil. Blah, like this! 
And because uh, his kind of lieutenant is Bruce Payne, uh, Damodar, and Damodar has blue lips mm -hmm. and pointy oh. armour, basically looks like an extra from Flash Gordon. Well, he <laughs> and, and all of his guards look like extras from Flash Gordon. So clearly, and he looks like Ming the Merciless, doesn't he? With a bold head and blue lips and his pointy armour. And he's... He's Jeremy Isaacs' Profion's lieutenant, so clearly these are the bad guys. Yeah. I mean, you can't miss it, can you? Well, Damodar, the bald guy, he clearly, all the way through the film, is acting like he's trying to be the next Darth Vader. Like, he never runs, he never runs, he never, like, he, he doesn't, you know, up his pace when he's chasing the good guys. He always walks with his guards. He's always trying to, he's always doing these sort of one-liners. He's sneery, sneery. Yeah, and I actually kind of feel a bit sorry for Bruce Payne because I imagine... He would. He turned up on set knowing that he was going to be acting opposite Jeremy Irons. And Jeremy Irons at this point was probably most famous for films like Reverse of Fortune and Dead Ringers where he, he kind of plays sn sn sneery, yeah. superior, smug characters, but so, quite soft-spoken. Yeah. And so they say, you know, uh, action, and Jeremy Irons goes, blah, 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 I'm Jeremy Irons! And Bruce Payne must have been like, the fuck? That's what I was going to do. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to do sneery and sarcastic Jeremy Irons, because clearly Jeremy Irons has chosen to go, blah, 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 like Tasmanian Devil or something. Well, do you think Jeremy Irons chose that like that, or he was or basically was told by, his, look, I want you to really just go for it. Like, really mental. just as over the top. <laughs> Certainly there's, 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 seen, there's films where Jeremy Irons is just trying to presumably pay the mortgage on his Malibu mansion, <laughs> and turns up and just does loud oh. and... You know, like Time Machine and certainly like he's Dungeons like, and Dragons. He's, 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 Jeremy Irons in this film is the, is the most... You can have the most laughs at Jeremy Irons in this film, I think. Out of all the characters, they're all laughable. They're all... You can laugh at all of they're them. They're hilarious. Yeah. But he is by far... He's just... It's, it, he hits a new level of, like, pantomime. It, and it really pantomime is just villain. totally pantomime, isn't it? Yeah, he couldn't looks, be any more pantomime if he was wearing a horse costume. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. You can control dragons. Yeah. Bah, I can control dragons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just horrible. From the sky! So, so okay, so Profion's the, the good guy. Uh, the, the, the bad, bad guy. guy. Sorry, he's <laughs> very, very bad. Have you not been through this? I got that. Did you not get um, the subtle... And the good guy, <laughs> the good guy is Emperor Saffron or something. I don't yeah. know. Played. played by an extremely anemic Thora Birch. Who? I mean, seriously, looks like she's never seen the sun in this film. I think, um, timeline-wise, in terms of her career, I think she had just done... She'd just done American Beauty. Oh, yeah. what a way to go, I mean... To go from that to, to, to this. And she was just about to do Ghost World. So, I mean, of all the films you could sandwich a film like this with, two pretty good ones. So <laughs> she's the Empress, and she has decided that the mages who are the ruling class and the commoners, who obviously are the commoners... Uh, should be equals, yeah. and obviously Jeremy Irons, Doesn't being like a mage, likes none of this. Now, instead of just killing her or um, uh, staging some sort of bloodless coup, he doesn't want. To, he's worried about doing that because she she has some sort of rod or scepter. She had a comedy scepter that controls golden dragons. Yeah. And although it seems to involve some sort of ritual where she has to summon up the dragons, he's still he's still worried about slit the throat and nicking it. Uh, so instead of just doing that, he, he, he decides that he has to control dragons himself. Uh, but the rod that he makes is a bit of a shit rod. <laughs> it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So, but he gets wind of the fact that there is another rod. So this is the rod of Sevril. 
and this rod is a controls uh, red dragons. So if he's got the red dragon rods, yeah, you lose. Oh, the no, I'm, lo I'm losing the will to live. If he has the red dragon rod, then he can he can control all the dragons. Is it um, the like the rod of dragons plus three? Dexterity. It's got, or yes. Or whatever. Yeah, it's a plus yeah. two rod of dragon control. Yeah. yeah. So he sends Damodar, his lieutenant, off to get the rod of dragon control. Meanwhile, oh my goodness me, Justin, <sighs> Justin Whalen and, oh. and Marlon Wayans. Yeah. I keep calling play, him um, Jimmy Schmitz for some reason. Jimmy Schmitz. Who mm. play Ridley Freeborn and Snails, his comic relief psychic. Um, they, are, they are robbing the mages tower and they get embroiled in this plot they end up with the only scroll that has the location to the rod of dragon control yeah. but in order to get the rod they've got to get the eye of the dragon they've got to get that from the thieves guild which is run by just oh, Richard oh, O'Brien and yeah. Damodar's oh, got to go and get it yeah. so anyway right. long story short oh. they know how to get the rod it's a chase it's a chase. To get, who can they, get the rod who first? Who can get the rod first? Basically, the plot of the film is to raid as many um, scenes from other better films as they can in yeah. an effort to get to the end scene quickly. Also so featuring Richard O'Brien. Yes. Name some of those films. Um, Raiders of, Raid of the Lost Temple Ark, of Doom. Temple of Doom. Yeah, there's yeah. a scene. Star Wars. Star Wars. There's a Moss Eisley Cantina. Empire Strikes Back. Don't the think... Force Tree is in there. Didn't you love that, by the way, that um, a year later... Um, uh, um, Lord of the Rings would do orcs so well that Peter Jackson would get orcs absolutely bang on his big evil tusk yes. mother yeah. that you just <laughs> wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley and yet in Dungeons and Dragons they're kind of guys in really bad green yeah. labyrinth style yeah. outfits like Jim Henson Muppets yeah. Yeah. basically yeah. so that's the general plot and then they get the rod and the rod does something and then the dragons all fight and then it ends the golden um, <laughs> red yeah. dragons fight and then yeah Jeremy Irons loses, uh, Damodar, uh, Bruce Payne falls off a tower, and yeah. the heroes win. But not not before tragically losing one of their own. Because, oh, of course, Damodar... Well, don't... No, yeah, that's not... Are we going to not, talk not, about that yet? I can't talk about that yet, man. You can't no. face, the, face the that yet. The horror. Um, so let's just talk about... I think we should talk about next, before we get into like any details of plot, is how the film is actually like shot and looks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, we've mentioned it already, mm. but I couldn't... You can't... You can't not watch this film and think what scene is not a rip off of oh, Star that. Wars or Indiana yeah. Jones or not, yeah or some other even though I said the opening scene is um, basically it's a Guinness advert uh, <laughs> the, the whole city looks like a Guinness advert doesn't that opening scene look like is a really awful piece of CGI yeah. and I kind of you well, go back and watch yeah, all the CGI is yeah. awful and you go back and think oh maybe at that period CGI was no. was not very good mm. but you know what this is post Matrix this is just before Lord of the Rings Jurassic Park seven years what? after Jurassic Park seven years after Jurassic Park yeah. so it's just bad there's no it? excuse other than no money well, he said that he had 20 or 30 million dollars budget and he made, this is what Solomon says, and he makes the film look like 50 million on the screen. Well, I would say he had 20 and he must have spent a lot on catering. I think he's a fairly chubby fella. <laughs> and that Jeremy Irons. And Jeremy Irons, because yeah. I, I can't see anything on the screen. I mean, it just looks like a cartoon. <clears throat> Don't you think there are surprisingly few VFX shots in the film? I mean, other than the dragon fight at the end. You know, there's those things that come out of Damodar's ears 
there's a beholder, you know, those yeah. snake things, there's a beholder about an hour in. Yeah. But between that snake thing coming out and the beholder, there's, there's practically no VFX at all. Well, they probably, because so, of the budget, they decided to bookend all the effects on either end. Yeah. Well, uh, funnily enough, I don't, I'm, we'll talk about it later, but there's loads of scenes. I want to talk about it now. There's a couple of scenes in the film that are alluded to, but you don't actually see. So there's a, there's a bit where, um, where, they dis where Justin Whalen's character, Ridley the Thief, manages to unlock the key to the scroll and disappears into it. Mm -hmm. Even though he's just a, yeah. a useless thief. Just a thief. It's just no, something his dad did. Just something his dad is yeah. bizarre. But he goes into the scroll and so does Marina, who's the, who's the librarian. They go into the scroll and the other shitty characters fight. <laughs> yeah. And then five minutes later they come out of the scroll and they go, what happened to you guys when you were in the scroll? And they say, well, oh. there was a wraith in the scroll and he told us that the rod is evil and caused the great war. And he gave us a map to the dragon's tomb. Uh, and he said, we need the eye of the dragon from the leader of the thieves guild. And I was like, what? And it was like the octopus. It was really scary from the end of the Goonies. <laughs> like all of that stuff happened, but we didn't see any of it. <laughs> well, and, and it, but actually it's in the deleted scenes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so they shot this scene in the scroll with this wraith who was an unfinished piece of VFX. And obviously they either ran out of money and didn't want to shoot it, or they just thought it was so lame. They didn't, it they might didn't. have also been with these sorts of films. It might have also been down to film length because the film is about ninety minutes bang on. Yeah, and they could they put about twenty five minutes of deleted scenes. That might have been that. There's yeah. another bit later on where, with, with the hilarious Tom Baker uh, elf character, oh, yes. um, where Ridley wakes up and says that he's seen a dream of a dragon being born. And again, I was thinking that would have been quite cool to see. Uh, but it's in the deleted but, scenes, and actually, it would have been really shit. Yeah, because the egg, mm. the egg was just a bit, a bit of polystyrene, basically, and the dragon was like a broom, a broom with eyes, green broom with eyes. So, and I think that was a completed effect shot. So, um, <laughs> wasn't an eyeline match. That was what it was going to look like. So maybe we're, it's, we're best that the film had as few VFX shots as it did in it, because anything else would have been even worse. Yeah, um, and then there's the there's bits where that he goes through like a trap, sort of a, a kind of dungeon bit with Richard O'Brien. I that, don't know. It's not a dungeon though. The film has no dungeons in it. Well, no. I don't know. Well, what, what it's, it's like, like a maze. A maze thing, and that whole bit just stunk of Indiana Jones, like okay. last, um, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark at the beginning, where yeah. he's, he puts his hand out and the light breaks and then See, yeah. thing, and all that shit. Yeah, and it's basically, you know, I, I understand that maybe the guy who directed it was very young at the time and. Basically, didn't probably subconsciously didn't know he was just oh, ripping off. I think he, well, maybe they did know. Oh. I thought it was funny that they cast Richard O'Brien off the back of uh, knowing him from Rocky Horror and not knowing him from Crystal Maze. Oh. But if if you're watching if you're watching that film in the UK, oh, you know, Richard yeah. O'Brien was the host of a Channel Four quiz show type yeah. thing where people went through silly maze and did loads of various tests. So to have him as the leader of the Thieves Guild, where he sends these guys to do these silly tests in a maze I just thought was really ridiculous and funny I think it was meant to be but yeah. it was just ludicrous wasn't it it was it's, just silly I can't think of this apart from the librarian who, who, who probably just about got through almost unscathed apart from the fact she doesn't really do anything um, everyone else is just a, just they're terrible. First of all, oh. the dwarf isn't oh. a dwarf. The dwarf isn't a dwarf. He's actually taller, I think, than Justin Wayne. There's a bit where they're so, standing next to each other, and I think Justin's about an inch taller. Right, okay. and it's like <laughs> this is—he's not a dwarf. He—he he, first of all, 
the bit at the beginning where they all get where they where they go in and they bumble around like a couple of comic relief awful comic relief characters the two the the two uh, thieves right. yeah the two thieves I, I like I like the idea of the comedy thieves because you know burglars are funny aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they burglars are. are funny mm. yeah the com- I love the term comic relief because it implies that you're having to use comedy to relieve something like mm. tension yeah but obviously there's there no ten- there's nothing to relieve and in this I, film, I, I, I so I, I take exception to the th- of the term comedy relief because that also implies comedy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So on both so, accounts. Yes. So they're just two bland characters. Yeah. That's what we're saying. There's no yeah, just two bland and guys bland, bland their way I through mean, the scene. Justin we're, Wayne is a terrible actor. Yeah. Just, back, he's oh, really oh. no but he's really awful. Do you remember what he was yeah. from? Um, he's in Chance Play 3, isn't he? I think yeah. he's the, the older Andy in Chance Play 3. I, I thought he was um, Jimmy Olsen in Lois and Clark. He's Jimmy Olsen in Lois and Clark, you're right. This must have been his, he thought his big break from TV. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This would have been after that, wouldn't it? Yeah. In fact, I remember seeing the cinema, I couldn't get around the fact that he was Jimmy Olsen. I just couldn't, out of my head, I couldn't get him out of it. He's clearly, yeah. clearly is a terrible actor. There's moments in this oh, film where he's... bits where he smiles like a, Yeah. And there's a hilarious bit where he says to the librarian, I don't care anything for politics, mm. suggesting that the plot actually has any depth to it at all. Yeah. Um, but I can't it, remember this film came again, out one year after episode and one and everyone berated episode one but I'll tell you what I'll, I'll watch that film 50 times over before I watch this yeah, again yeah. so funny you should mention that here's some of the reviews that are on the DVD box on, oh, man. reading these I'm not sure actually if they're good or bad but this was the one I particularly liked sword fights and special effects unlikely to disappoint even the most ardent fans of The Phantom Menace said The Guardian so, you know, comparing it to everyone's least favourite Star Wars film. And Ms. Magazine said, if you enjoy swords and sorcery, then this is a movie for you. And that's no. my favourite one. Yes, clearly and this is a film that's been marketed at you to if you are well. a swords and sorcery fan. Ms. Magazine. Five stars. Wow. I mean, the... the, the um, okay, they've got four reviews on here. All action entertainment is written on the front. That's from the Daily Star. Ah. If they were trying to cherry pick good comments from um, respected critics, all they would have left with was and, of, but, and the. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, is there anything we liked about the film? It was relatively short. <laughs> but, 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 but not as short as it could have been. <laughs> yeah. I remember I picked up the box and looked at the runtime and thought, 73 minutes, that's pretty cool, but that was actually the running time of the special features. Jesus. Well, I, did, I only got five minutes into them, I fell asleep. Okay, I've got to say, there's a couple of things I quite like about go on, the film. Go First on. of all, I quite like Bruce Payne, and I like his character. I think he's very funny. Um, I don't get it, he's so clearly a bad guy, you know, and, and then there's a really funny bit where. Um, where Jeremy Irons, in order to make sure that he does his job of getting the gold dragon thing control of, yeah. thing, whatever it is, puts these worms, mind-controlling worms in his head or something, um, <laughs> which is hilarious, and which leads to the scene later where he takes them out again. Yeah. And he, when he gives him the rod, he says, What about my head? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, why, why have that in it at all? He's clearly a bad guy. He's clearly on Jeremy Irons' side. Mm-hmm. It what, seems what's what does he need mind controlling I don't brain fuck well I think it's yeah. like if you fail if you fail me this thing these things will kill you but it seems like every time they bring it up again oh by the way he's got these things in his head he's in absolute agony and pain surely that would make him make it harder for him to do his job mm. I said that I said the cards have been stacked against him from the start because there's a bit where he goes look at me look at me 
to that marina. Oh, yeah, yeah. which is trying to get around her. And it's kind of, he's trying to talk her into helping him out, isn't he? Yeah. But clearly he can mind suck her anyway yeah. using the worms. So which is not, not really he... explained to her. No, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. He doesn't roll dice to make it happen. No. He doesn't, <laughs> none of them, none of them There's no, not a D20 in There's sight. not I'm a D20 living. in sight. There's absolutely no manuals. No, nobody rolls initiative before yeah. fighting. All, all of the bits jump in. All of the bits as well that make no sense haven't been pulled from other films. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Um, I, I can't really honestly say there's anything about this film that I like because that would imply that there was something in this film that was done intentionally that succeeded. Everything that I enjoy about this film is because it is just bloody awful and fun to watch with a mate. But mm. it's not intentional it's not supposed to be watched like that this is supposed to be they, they put all these bits of drama in where certain characters die and things like that, that occasion, and, that's... and and but you don't it's just laughable it's just you laugh you can't like let's talk about when snails dies yeah so this was the one bit that i liked about the film it was sort of liked about the film is that we didn't have him inflicted on us for yeah longer than about 50 minutes because bruce oh. payne's demo the character Beef chops it. Oh man, yeah, and I'm glad because he then, keeps doing this noise. He goes, like all the he's time. A very, but oh. to, to to give them credit for killing him off, you know, it, to take the Phantom Menace equivalent of Jar Jar Binks, if George Lucas yeah. had killed him off 50 minutes into the film, I think everyone would have been genuinely happy about that. Mm-hmm. Marlon Wayans is a lot like Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. really annoying. All his mannerisms are extremely annoying. He's not there to serve any plot purpose. Yeah. So the fact that at least the film bumps him off. And doesn't bring him back mm-hmm. is quite is is kind of a good thing because mm. boy was I sick at the sight of him. Oh yeah, yeah he was doing everything about him. It was there was there was no oh, like the way he tries no to comedy. chat the elf. Up. Uh-huh, that's and then the elf yeah. goes, but I'm two hundred and thirty four, and he's like twenty with a mental age of a three yeah. year old. <laughs> so that relationship, only two way these guys are going to get along I, I the looked, hard way. I looked into it during during filming. He was filming two films at the same time. So this. he was filming Requiem. A dream at the same time as this. It's incredible, isn't it? That, that is quite incredible. That is quite. I did not realise that. And that is quite incredible. Um, um, in there. Yeah. <laughs> He's an incredible actor. What yeah. a range! Yeah, what a range! What can, a range! Do, can do Requiem for a Dream. That, and but this maybe piece of shit. Maybe that's also another reason why he got killed off was because I'm basically he. It was probably already pre-written. But it was like, I can do it, but only if I'm not in for the whole lot. Yeah, and I think that's true of most of the actors in this. I mean, Thora Birch is in it for about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Jeremy Irons is in it at the start. He probably had a week's work on that. And in it at the end, a week's work top. And Bruce Payne handles the role of being the bad guy in the film, doesn't he, really? And Justin Wayne. Justin Wayne they had for the whole movie, and he probably hung around for a few years afterwards and then asked to be in the sequel. That would be my guess. Was he in the sequel? No. Oh. <laughs> Although Bruce Payne is in the oh, sequel. just so anyone listening doesn't know about these films, there are two. Se- is it two sequels? There's two sequels: The Wrath of the Dragon God, uh, which Colin says is better than Dungeons and Dragons. So oh, you know, be I bet that's going to be good. Right. Uh, which I have seen. Bruce Payne's in it again, playing yeah. Demeter. It's on. Even I think he fell it's on the tower at the end of the first one. I think one. it's on the US Netflix. And then uh, there's one that's just come out on DVD, which is. The Book of Vile Darkness. But it looks like there's going to be a new Dungeons & Dragons movie. So, Warners are trying to get it made. Courtney Solomon is signed on as a producer. And I guess he has to be because he owns, as far as I can tell, he owns the rights to movies with the title Dungeons & Dragons. But the problem is that TSR, who he bought the rights off, got sold to Wizards of the Coast, who got sold to Hasbro. Yeah. And obviously Hasbro are this giant toy company that make movies based on their products with Universal. I think they need to definitely put in some homages to the original movie. 
um, because I think otherwise fans will be disappointed if Marlon Wayans isn't isn't in it. I mean, at the end of the first one, obviously, it looks like snails might still be alive. Well, like they yeah, kill him but... off, and that bit was I didn't give a shit anyway. And also, there's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's on his knees, and like and Damodar's about to stab him with a sword if they don't hand over the whatever. But then snails slides out from his coat on oh, I've got the scroll and when he throws it to them he does the girliest limpest throw limp- yes. he's like Ugh, and he like lands a foot in front of them which <laughs> means gets beef chopped but at the end of the film when suddenly they're the, the, um, the, 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 the good guys and they've they've conquered the whatever of whatever um, <laughs> Justin Whalen's wearing the campiest leather outfit like he's now a badass. Every, all of the outfits are, ca- are absolutely campy in the film. I mean, and um, and then they go, yeah, well, let's go see your friend because he's waiting for you. And Snow's his name on his tombstone disappears. disappears. Yeah. And they all oh, they all disappear. Yeah. And then I disappear from the cinema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I instantly forget. And then the memory of the film disappears from my brain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> smooth you, yeah. You talk about you talk about campy outfits though. Did you notice that the elf character, the oh. elf tracker, had nipple armor? Yeah. I mean, yeah. just what was that? I mean, it just that was ridiculous. Uh, I mean, did you have any bits that stuck in your mind as being a favourite? Oh, it's quite a few oh, lines man. that I really liked. Uh, there were a lot of lines. One of my favourites was um, must be the only way she can get guys to go home with her. Uh, I'd have to cast a feeble mind spell on myself to want to take you home. It's like oh, is that the elf that, that says no, that? no? That's Marina. Oh, that's Marina. In the in the in the. Yeah, oh, I thought, oh what a, what quality writing oh, that man. was. They, that's literally straight out of the pages of the book. Yeah, that is amazing. Oh, one of my favourite one of my favourite lines is from Jeremy Irons, and it's right at the end, and it's when um, they're talking about destiny, and he's shouting at Justin Whalen. And he says uh, something about he's 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 getting in the way of Jeremy Irons' destiny. And he goes, I'm going to create a new destiny, especially for you. And it's the way he says it, he points. It's really camp way. all spitting coming yeah. out of his mouth. And it's just, oh. It's, yeah, but um, you can pretty much take any line from just, uh, Jeremy Irons. All his lines were good and Bruce Payne's lines were good. My favourite line actually was uh, is the, one of the lines from The Dwarf. And he says it to Marina, and uh, I'm thinking of saying this to my missus, really. And it's if I ain't drinking, you sure as hell ain't shopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a bit, there's a weird bit where they're in the forest, and then they all get together and they say, "Oh well, we've got to go help her because I agreed to help her." And then yeah. they all go, "Are you in?" To the dwarf, and he goes, "Well, what other choice do I have?" What? Okay, I, I, no, I made a note of that as well. Like, the whole point of Dungeons and Dragons, the game, is that you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You have an infinite possibility but, of choices. But, he's, but this guy's like, well, what, what else can I do? This would do anything because he's not. You can it, do he's, anything. You're not involved. He's not involved. He's not invested. The, the, the bad guys don't really know who he is. He appeared for one minute in front of Damador. We, we don't know who he is because the scene in which he's introduced was deleted. Yeah. So we don't even know who he is. He's, the bit where he. Well, because yeah, because in the theatrical version, he they go through a portal. They end up in his back alley where he lives. Um, then someone shoots his hat off or something with an arrow, and he loses his shit. They has a really dull two second fight sequence yeah. with Damodar, and then goes right, I'm out of here, and then dives through a hole, and then they end up somewhere. They end up in a sewer, but it's in it's in. There's a cutscene where yeah. he yeah. says who he is yeah. and why he's going to hang out with them. Yeah. But they obviously thought that they would keep in all of the non-important, non-essential. 
bits of fluff in the film yeah. and all the important bits of narrative they would cut out, yeah. including the whole point of this dwarf being along for the ride. Cause, so yeah, it just doesn't make sense yeah. why he's there and who he is. And, and he also doesn't actually add anything at all. Because at the end, when they all tried to help out, what's his face, Jimmy Olsen, to fight Jeremy Irons, <laughs> they all tried to have a pop at Jeremy Irons and the dwarf goes to swing his axe at him and just gets frozen. So he turns up, gets... Yeah, just sidetracks straight away. Do much of anything during the whole film. Yeah. No one does. At the end of the film, oh, they're yeah, all just then... cowering while Thora Birch is getting killed. Another one of my favourite bits was just after, uh, just after the escape through the sewer, when uh, they've they've come out of the map and they've they've escaped through the sewer. They're standing by a cart, and a guard is putting up the worst wanted poster ever. It, it's a poster of Marina, and it could literally be anybody. <laughs> An old man with a beard. It could literally be anybody. It is no better than a stick man <laughs> on a wanted poster, which is just hilarious. Why does Richard O'Brien build a maze to, to guard to his keep, uh, yeah, dragon's to... eye that he then can't get no, at? I, yeah. I, I think... I thought and I he has just... to wait 15 years for somebody good enough to come and get it for him. Yeah. No, I just probably wouldn't have built that. I'd have probably yeah. just put it in I don't know if he built it. Wasn't it surely there before him or something? And he's been waiting for someone to get it for him. I don't, like He set up camp there. So he set camp up camp. So up... somebody else built a maze mm. to guide the dragon's eye. And yeah. he built a, <coughs> built a camp around it. Yeah. I'm well, waiting for someone that, to come that would, along. That would make more sense than him building, than build, a, him put... building a maze in his own home. And putting an eye in the middle of it, and then yeah. never been able to get at but it. But you notice that everyone can stand above the maze and watch. So why can't somebody just, just climb with a hook down? It, just hook it with a big stick. Other things that were funny. Uh, Damada has a hilarious quicksand rug uh, oh. in in his apartment, yeah. which is for me has got to be one of the crappiest Dungeons and Dragons traps ever, because you can pretty much just walk around a rug. It's just a isn't it just seriously, a big pit full of porridge? It's just a big yeah. porridge pit that looks like a rug. Yeah, and if seriously, if you just walked around it, you could have helped yourself to any of his kit. But stupid snails has to go and of course, fall in, yeah, you know, in a hilarious yeah, way in a, or in a comedy way. Yeah, why was and there's a brilliant bit where they go and get the rod, Justin, and there's loads of scenes where Justin Whalen is the only one important enough to go into somewhere and do something. Mm-hmm. So he's the only one that can go into the portal. And he's the only yeah, one the only one that can go through the door the is the only one that can go into the room. Yeah, and I say that stuff again. That's because they could probably only afford to hire the actors for a certain amount of days. So they give all they give the bulk of the work to uh, to um, Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen. Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, and, and then he goes yeah. and there's a hilarious bit where he goes in to get the rod and ends up talking. Oh. I mean, just a hilarious comedy. It looks like something out of the Goonies. With a chat with a skeleton yeah. uh, who says the rod is cursed. Blah blah blah. Red dragons. Blah blah blah. And, but it's just hilarious. And then he goes, "But can I have it?" And he goes, "Yeah, fine, fine, yeah. I don't want the fucking thing." <laughs> it's the most plasticky, oh, yeah. shitty-looking prop. Yeah, the the dragon rod. It looks so like rose. It, it looks like it, it's like a sh- like it LARP, was, like live yeah. role playing. It's like a shitty LARP prop. It looked a bit like one eyed Willie from the Goonies. It did look a little bit like that. I thought yeah, it was another one-eyed, yeah, one-eyed, yeah another. Um, sort of, but when Damage, but, said, but get, no, the, the skull guy, the skeleton guy, when he has it to, he says, um, "If I give it to you, just so you know, there's a curse." And then, then Jimmy Olsen says, how do I break the curse? Ah, oh, well, you'll have to find out. At the end of the film, it turns out, breaking the curse, just break the gem in, just, the, in the wand. Just break the yeah. rod. Yeah, it's only made of shitty plastic anyway. Yeah, <laughs> take a look at the, uh, the, the the cast list and the uh, character names, and it just seems like they've taken ordinary English words and um, 
put Eon at the end of them or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah uh, but that's Marino the MO of fantasy, that. isn't it? They just, yeah. make, they just come up with ridiculous sounding names and also ridiculous names for ge- generic props. Like the wand of Cal- The rod of Selvril. Yeah. I am Selvril. Yeah. It's the, the wand of Savile. I was, yeah. Let's not talk about the yeah. wand of Savile. <laughs> yeah. We're, the, the the yeah. We're definitely going off topic yeah. if we start yeah. talking about that. We've been talking about the rod of Savile for the last, for the last six months. Yeah. 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 There's no need for us to talk about it here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so and then there's a big fight at the end. Thora Birch summons up the. No, gold there's not dragons. a big fight. There's ten people in a room and loads of bad CGI. And CGI yeah. dragons. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a this. Uh, there's just a shitty fight, a dragon fight scene, isn't there? With it's it's uh, like people don't. Like, anyone who hasn't seen this film, I would probably try and get on YouTube and just look and see if there's any clips of just the dragon fight scene at the end. The CGI is. Really bad. Really bad. Like it's really bad. It, it, it's bad throughout the film, but in this bit where they're trying to render an entire fake city and dragons fighting, it just like it's like when a games console struggles with and slows graphics. down. Yeah, totally. absolutely. Yeah. it's mm. just oh man, it's just the, the detail drops off, and you just ended up with like these half-built castles. And it's then just, oh. the, w- there's a lovely bit where the all the supporting characters like Marina and Norda the elf again send Justin through the. Through the um, eye of Poofu. Through the eye of Poofu. <laughs> <laughs> because he's the only one who can go through the eye of Poofu. Although, hilariously, five minutes later they follow him anyway. So I don't yeah. know why they didn't just yeah. all go at the same yeah. time. It doesn't make sense. But then, um, so they all have a big fight with, um, with uh, I think it's Bruce Payne. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce Payne has or a fight with um, Jimmy Schmitz. Might be Jeremy Irons, I don't know. They all have a fight and then... Justin Wayne and after that, after um, the uh, Je- Jeremy Irons, I think, has beaten the dwarf and beaten the elf. Yeah. And Justin Whalen says, "Why don't you pick on someone your own size mm. when clearly mm. he's the smallest one yeah. of the yeah. lot of them?" Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you pick on someone half the size of those yeah. guys? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's ironic that he's actually the shortest one. The shortest dwarf one. in the group. Yeah. <laughs> like, dwarf in the group, and, he, and he's the titchiest. Yeah. I mean, it's just a horrible bit of casting. Really, really bad. So uh, so ultimately, how claggy was Dungeons and Dragons? Most? I would say on a scale of five, this is five. I'll, I'll give it a four. I I think you have to travel through many fantasy lands to find a a, a film claggier than this. And and Courtney Solomon says because the film has come under quite a lot of flack. I mean, it's got a twenty six percent score on Metacritic. People generally tend to hate it. Mm-hmm. But he but he says. It's only the fans that don't like it because it, it's a bit kiddie-ish and uh, he could have done a darker film uh, and but he wanted to make a family film and that's ultimately the only problem with the movie is that it's too kiddie-ish. But actually, you know what, there are loads of, of great kids' fantasy films oh, gotcha. like The Dark Crystal, like Labyrinth, like The NeverEnding Story, like Indiana most yeah. of the output of Studio Ghibli. And this isn't a failure because it goes down a bit of a kiddie route. It's a failure because it's Script. miscast, it's poorly written, none of the set design works, none of the costume design works. It, it uses every fantasy trope in the book badly. Mm. It borrows from loads of other films badly and it's just a bit of an incoherent mess. You know, like, for him to say, oh, it's just it, some people don't like it because it's a kid's film, 
Mm. No, that's I think not... people don't like it because it's a bad film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably kids are the only ones that <laughs> do like it because, quite frankly, kids will watch anything. Undiscerning enough. As somebody to with two anything. kids, yes, they're a very undiscerning audience. If they'll sit and watch In the Night Garden, they'll watch Colin. anything. And Colin. And Colin. And Colin, of course, who loved it and I think is um, very excited that Solomon's name is attached to any potential future wow. Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah. I cool. think Pete right. Jackson had better watch out, that's all I can say. Right, so those were our three films. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, House by the Cemetery, and, and Horror, Horror Express. Express. So I guess it's time to vote. So so um, let's start with uh, Nuddy. I'm going to vote for Dungeons and Dragons yeah. because it is just, it's wall-to-wall disaster, but a, a very good laugh with mates. I'm going to go with Dungeons and Dragons uh, for exactly the same reason uh, that Nud uh, just gave. Well, I was uh, I was prepared to be to be convinced about House by the Cemetery I because thought, I thought I'd made a pretty good effort. It's there, a, yeah, it's a pretty awful film. Uh, I love Horror Express, but had a real blast reminding myself of its really quite truck sized uh, and train sized uh, plot <laughs> holes. But I think ultimately it has to be a unanimous decision. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is going into the clag bag. Mm. Cool. Um, so that's that actually goes into a bag. Yeah, I think that we should have <laughs> yeah, we should it, have a sound effect. <laughs> yeah. What's the sound yeah. effect of a bag opening? It's probably uh, I'll find one. It's, um, just a second. Here it goes. And <laughs> yeah, it's in the bag, um, and then that bag will be set on fire and in front of them, <laughs> set in front of a river. Um, cool. And then, so what we've got to do now then is wrap things up and talk about what we're going to do for next show. Well, thank you for listening to the, uh, our first episode. So we're going to do this again, you know, kind of semi regularly, about once a month, uh, yeah. maybe. And Nud came up with the brilliant idea of because we're all picking different eras. We picked it randomly for the first one. But then they we're just going to move on an era. So uh, I, I had the 2000s, so I'm going to pick something now from the 1970s um, and back. Nuddy, you're going to pick something. From the 80s and from the or 80s 90s. And 90s, and Scotty's going to pick something. 2000s onwards. So we haven't told, we've just picked it just now. We haven't told mm. each other what we're going to do. So now we'll reveal what's going to be in the next episode. So you're doing the oldest era, so you go first. Okay, so for the oldest era, I've picked a title from the 1970s. Uh, it's a sequel. It's a sequel to one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. The sequel is one of the worst films ever made, in my opinion. And it's an opinion shared by Mark Kermode. Oh, my pig no, is The Exorcist yes. 2, The Heretic. <laughs> nice. Enjoy. I've never seen it. I'm looking forward. Oh, well, yeah. should I be? But I'm, uh, You should not be. You should <laughs> definitely not be. Okay. Exorcist 2. Right, okay. Exorcist 2. Uh, so, the Heretic. So the next choice is me. So I'm doing. So I'm going to pick a film from the eighties. Now, the eighties and nineties era is is stuffed, crammed the gills full of claggy films. I was thinking about going for a particular kind of film, but decided I'm going to go for something a bit more mainstream. And it's not the worst in the series, but I think it would be a very good laugh because I did rewatch it about two months ago, and it is actually a big pile of shit. Um, <laughs> Scotty suggested I go for Superman 4, but I'm not going to go for Superman 4. I'm going to go for Superman 3. Superman 3. <laughs> Superman awesome. 3. I'm actually looking forward to watching Superman 3. Yeah, he, yeah, he shouldn't be. No. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, you, it, one of those films you Mr. think... Mr. Yeah. No, Superman 3 is a good laugh. It's yeah. not. It's awful. <laughs> so, 
let's let's watch that one next. Um, so, Scotty. Okay, right. Uh, I was so so tempted. Like I said, I'm going for films 2000 onwards, and I was so so tempted to go meet the Spartans, but I've decided. <laughs> I've decided to go uh, for Stephen Summers' 2004 Magnificent Octopus Van Helsing. Oh, this is episode two, we've gone straight for the jugular. <laughs> so join us, if you will, for the torture that will be Exorcist 2 versus Superman 3 versus Van Helsing, who will emerge victorious to land themselves in the well and truly in the clag with Dungeons and Dragons. Tune in next time to find out. This is JP. Nud. I'm Chainsaw. I'm Dave. <laughs> and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs> Catch us next time, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Actually, that was a bit naff, wasn't it? That's a bit all that. That's a bit all that. But he, he's, he's best.